We got a lot to praise the Lord for. And uh, including, I might add, our elders. Can we just give it up for the elders that serve our church? They are godly, faithful, and wise. And it's a privilege to be alongside of them. Hey, before we get underway, there's a couple things I want to mention as well. One is, uh, last week, we stood right here and we prayed for our students who were at a student retreat. And we very specifically as a church family asked that, that God would be pleased that even some would come to know him as Savior and Lord and become born again. And did you know from our student ministry, from the 70 kids that went from our student ministry to the retreat last weekend, five of them came to call on Christ as Savior. So that is really great news, is that not right? Praise the Lord for that. And then, uh, and we're going to praise the Lord for that here in just a moment. But before we do that even, uh, in a more sober uh, tone, I just want to acknowledge uh, what is happening in Israel right now. And I just want to decry uh, as robustly as I can the wickedness, which is the incursion of uh, terrorists into the uh, land there. I know it's a very complicated part of the world. And I understand that there are uh, dynamics that uh, uh, come from both sides that make things very complicated. But what we're seeing unfold is nothing short of diabolical. And we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for the land of Israel and for all the people there, the Palestinians as well as the uh, Jews that are gathered there, uh, the Israelis that are gathered there. So I want to pray for that right now. I want to ask you to join me in that. Pray for uh, what I just referenced, as well as rejoice with the Lord uh, for the way he changes lives. And then we're going to step right into this uh, first chapter of the book of James. Father, thank you for those who are guests here today, for those who might be new to us, either online in our wonderful online community or right here uh, in our midst on campus. And uh, we pray that as they are here today, they will sense the Holy Spirit and his tender love for our church family and for our community. Lord, we uh, want to thank you for uh, the giving in our church family and the generosity of our people and how, as Jot said here a moment ago, uh, the trend is, is uh, working upward. And we give you praise for that and we pray you'll continue to meet our needs and uh, help us to reach still higher uh, by way of addressing all the needs we have as a church family. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from you, and we thank you. Lord, we want to pause and we pray for Israel. We pray for uh, the land uh, of, of Israel, the people that are there, the, the, the Palestinians, the Jews. I, I am reminded of a number of Palestinian Christian friends that, that I know of there, uh, and many dear Jewish friends. And I even had uh, a conversation with one of them yesterday in Jerusalem, and I could hear the fear in his voice. And uh, I pray, Father, uh, that, that you would bring about peace, that you would offer your power to bring resolution, and that when all is said and done, every eye, and, uh, every eye will see and ear will hear of your glory and your goodness and your power unfolding in that complex place. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem as your word asks us to do so. And we pray blessing over the Jewish people as your word asks us to do so. And Father, we celebrate that five, 
five of our students called on Jesus as Savior this past weekend. We rejoice with them. We rejoice with the angels in heaven. We thank you, oh God, for the way the gospel changes lives, for the blessed Savior Jesus who changes everything and makes all things new. Now, as we attend to your word here, be with us and instruct us and change us. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. All God's people said together, amen. Amen. Can we just give it up to Jesus one more time? He is worthy. He's so good. He's so, so good. Now, I want to ask you a question, uh, and it is a question that has to be asked because it addresses something that is so incredibly common. What trial are you personally facing today? What trial are you facing today? And a corollary question to that is, how confident are you that Jesus will see you through? How confident are you that Jesus can see you through whatever it is you are facing? Now, I need to tell you straight up that when trials come my way, I get overwhelmed, I'm triggered, and I feel like God is being cruel to me. Cruel, C-R-U-E-L. And what happens then is I become angry and resentful and bitter because I think God's letting me down. Anybody else? Yeah, anybody else at all? Absolutely. Well, thankfully, there is sage advice. Sage advice in the Word of God for the trials that we face. The Word of God is replete with good counsel for how to navigate those stories of woe. Now, my attention is turning to the book of James in the New Testament. And in particular to James chapter one, where James goes to some length to talk about trials and temptations. We'll look at it in a minute. God willing, we're going to be spending the next several weeks in the New Testament book of James. I'm so excited about that. I can't wait. But before we step any further, it makes sense to, it makes sense to just introduce James to you because you may not know who he is or what this book is about. So allow me a brief introduction. Galatians chapter 119 tells us that James James is the brother of Jesus. Now, can you imagine if Jesus is your older brother? You know, you think about this. You act up in some manner, and your mom says, why can't you be like your brother Jesus? I mean, now that's some pressure right there. Can you imagine that kind of life? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, suggests to us that James was skeptical of the claims of Jesus, at least until Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection. And I would imagine 
a lot of things became crystallized at that moment for James. After Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension into the heavenly places and the eruption of the church onto the scene, very quickly, James became one of the key leaders of the early church. He led faithfully. He was quite powerful in his leadership, up there with the likes of Peter and Paul. James ultimately was murdered by the same kind of crowd that murdered Jesus years earlier. James was taken up to the pinnacle of the temple and he was hurled down, his body landing in a deep ravine below the temple mount. He was still alive when he uh, was found by the enemies that threw him down, barely, but nonetheless still alive, and so they finished him off by beating him to death with a club. A martyr's death for the brother of Jesus. Now, the book that bears his name was written probably in the late 40s of the first century, about 12 to 15 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. It is a fiercely practical, direct, and accessible book. So timely for you and for me. I am so excited for these weeks ahead as we explore it. James chapter 1 verse 1 reminds us that it was written primarily to Jewish Christians that had been scattered all across the Roman Empire, the so-called diaspora of Jewish Christians. They probably left Jerusalem after the martyrdom of the man named Stephen. When we look at the book of James, we realize it is in so many ways just what scholars say. It is like the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. And there is a remarkably close association between the book of James and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we read in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. James is an incredible book. And it has a whole lot to say. It is filled with no end of sage advice. Which takes us to James chapter 1, and the counsel that you and I can receive from God through James regarding trials and temptations, the trials that come our way. And what I'd like to do is share with you two primary themes that jump right out of the page, that leap right out of the words found in James chapter 1. There are two primary themes, two truths. Hear me now. Two truths for you and for me that we see in James chapter 1. Here's truth number one. You'll see it on the screen here. It's very simple. Trials come our way. 
Now, can we all just say, this is a rich theological word I'm about to say here. Ready? Can we all just say, duh? All right, ready? Let's say it together. Duh. (laughs) Trials come our way. Yeah, you think, Pastor? Absolutely they do. No one, no one is immune. No one is immune. James chapter 1, verse 2, you'll see it here too. Look with me. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. Really? How is that even a possibility? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, family of God, when, notice the word when. You see that word there? Now I'm going to, this is where, to Jot's point, I'm going to geek out here. That, that word is a particle of time. It's a particle of time used of those things that one anticipates will actually occur. The assumption is it does happen. It will happen. So when we use the word when, there's an absoluteness about it. It's not if, it's when. Count it all joy, my brothers, when, when trials come. And of the trials themselves, at least from James's perspective, what might he mean? Well, one Greek lexicon dictionary puts it this way. You'll see here. Uh, there we go. By trials, James means a proving. Now, I want you to see that word. A proving of one's fidelity, integrity, virtue, constancy. It's a proving of who we are. This is why in James chapter 1 verse 3, we read these words. You know that the testing of your faith, dot, dot, dot. And so when we read James and we see him talk about trials here in the first chapter, he's speaking about those things that test our faith, that prove us out, that demonstrate what we're made of, who we are, what we're about. This is very important. It's very important. I I want you to understand with me, please, that this is written to Christians. It's written to Christians. James is talking about trials that Christians face. This isn't merely trials for those that don't know the Lord and, and people that are far apart from from what brings us here under the banner of Jesus. No, those under the banner of Jesus face trials. We have hardships. We have temptations and struggles and, 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 and our lives are tested. And it's exhausting. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 16, Verse 33, and what is known as the upper room discourse. By the way, God willing, next fall, a year from now, New Hope Church is going to move its way through those chapters in the Gospel of John, the upper room discourse. We're already laying that out. I cannot wait for that. 
That's a year from now. But in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. And he's talking to his disciples. But you know what? I don't like that. I don't like what Jesus says. Can a pastor say that? A human being can say that. I don't like having tribulation or trials in my life. I don't want to be tested. I don't want my mettle to be proved. But that's exactly what we read. Ah, oh, yet the possibilities, the possibilities that are before us here. Oh, look with me. Or just, just listen as I read here from James chapter 1, verse 3. You know the testing of your faith. What does it do? It produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, verse 4 says, that you may be perfect and complete. By the way, that word perfect doesn't mean perfect in an absolute sense. It just means well-rounded. Well-rounded and complete, lacking nothing. And then verse 12, James offers this. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial, for when that one has stood the test that one will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And so the possibilities are amazing when we endure trials. We get to mature as human beings. Our faith in God gets to grow and be shaped and honed. And we get to experience fullness of life. The crown of life that James talks about here. That's a wonderful thing. It's just that it's really hard to get there at times. We also, regarding these trials, need to understand, please hear me, that these trials flatten the categories of life. Trials that we face flatten the categories of life. I've already said it a couple times, no one is immune. Everybody deals with trials. The powerful and those who have no power. Women, men. Boys and girls and those who are seasoned by the things of life. Read into that old. Different cultures and ethnicities, languages, we all have trials. The rich, they have trials. And the poor. James chapter 1 verse 9 says as much here. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And then verse 10 says, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Verse 11, the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James is saying, look, conventional thinking says it's just the lowly and the poor that struggle. Not so fast, even the rich. Nobody is immune. Listen to me, friends. Trials are a powerful equalizer. Did you hear that? Trials are a powerful equalizer. 
So, truth number one, trials come our way. Absolutely they do. And that's the testimony of James chapter one. But truth number two also matters a lot. Trials also, or rather always, include temptation. Now, friends, don't gloss over this. Notice this here. If you're right here in this room, if you're, if you're listening, watching right now from far away, and I know, I know some of you are. I heard from one this week. Uh, dear sister in Christ, I know, Matt. I hope you're listening. Good morning to you, wherever you are. We'll, we'll talk, all right? Trials always, always, always include temptation. This is not a... This is not a maybe, this is an absolute. Did you hear that? Trials always include temptation. You see, what trials do for me and for you is they stretch us. They stretch our belief in whether God will take care of us, whether we can have confidence in him. They cause us to lean into some of the patterns of old in our lives that we use to cope with pain. And very often that gives way to to sinful rhythms that hurt us or maybe even hurt others. Trials can animate for us resentment and bitterness and cause us to question the character of God. Am I right on this, church? Absolutely. Trials always, always bring about temptation. And James talks about this here in James chapter 1. And I want you to notice what he says there in verse 13. Here's here's how I like to translate it. We'll see it here. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Did you hear that? Trials tempt us, but no one should say God is the one tempting. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Verse 14 tells us, each person is tempted when he or she is drawn away and enticed by his or her own desires. God will never tempt us. He doesn't have the capacity to do that. Certainly doesn't have the desire to do that. Now understand with me, he will allow for temptation like say he did with Job in Job chapter 1. But God himself will not entice us into sin. Hear me, church. We don't need him to entice us. We do that well ourselves. I give in to sin, uh, to temptation quite well all by myself. Thank you. I'm quite good at it, actually. In fact, it's one of the better things I can do. How about you? God doesn't tempt us. But as verse 14 makes clear, we're tempted, we're tempted 
when we're lured and enticed by our own desire, and that language is the language of a fisherman, literally. It's the language of the bait being dropped into the water. The lure, and the fish sees it, and is drawn to it because it looks appealing, and then the fish latches onto it and is stuck now. Remember, James grew up along the Sea of Galilee. He may well have joined Peter and James and John and the others and Jesus fishing on that great lake. He knows what a lure will do. And he knows that once you're on that hook, you're stuck. Well, we have to recognize that this is not God's desire. God gives good gifts. As a matter of fact, verse 17 of James chapter 1 puts it this way, and I love this. I, reckon, uh, I echoed it earlier in my prayer. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's perfect. He never, ever gives us bad things, only good things. He's a good and faithful and loving God. And in fact, there is no more good gift than Jesus himself. Amen? Jesus Christ, our King, the greatest gift of all. This Jesus, whose death and resurrection mean that sin, death, and the devil no longer have the final word in our lives. This Jesus, whose death and resurrection makes it possible for me to have eternal life and the forgiveness of sin no condemnation all my shame now gives way to power all my fear or rather to honor all my fear to power my condemnation to forgiveness my filth to cleanliness he makes me clean and this is hear me now listen to this word this is our positional reality because of what Jesus has done, if we are in Christ and follow after him, our new identity is that we are clean and whole and we have eternal hope, eternal life, forgiveness. But it is also, hear me now church, it is also our practical reality because here's the thing. While positionally I am forever secure in him, practically every day, I'm a scoundrel when it comes to unrighteousness. I sin. I curse his name. I do my own thing. Because that old flesh is strong. But thank be to God, we have promises like we see in 1 John 1, 9. If you will confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us 
our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so positionally in Christ, we are forever secure. Practically in Christ, every single day, he relishes forgiving us those things that trip us up. And you know what that means also? He has the power to help us stand in the face of temptation's fury. He's got power for this, friends. He has the power to help us so that our hearts can stay soft and pliable even when the trials are so painful. When the trials are so painful. And when the trials are so painful, and because he can help us stay soft, nonetheless, guess what? We, hear me, we still can love fully him and those around us. And that's a big part of the point here in James 1 when we read these words uh, toward the end of the book. In James 1 when we read this whole issue of if anyone, verse 20, anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Put away all filth, rampant wickedness. And then we go further and we read these glorious words here. That verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious, does not bridle his tongue, deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. But notice this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one unstained. Friends, that is love. That is loving the least of these, so to speak. And the reason James wraps up James 1 with that, which seems like such a strange statement following a a word about trials, is James is saying, look, in your trials in Christ, you can still love. The trials, sure they're real. Yes, but they need not get the best of you. They may expose the stuff within that needs the sanctifying touch of Jesus. But these trials may also be used to demonstrate that in Christ, you still are powerful in the midst of the pain. And this is the purpose and the point of James chapter 1. Which leads me to want to share with you some very simple takeaways, some directives for you, things that you can take, some next steps for you. They're very simple, but they're exceedingly important. Here's the first one. I want you to look with me. Stay proximate with Jesus and pray to stand against temptation's fury. You don't need to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 26, we find ourselves in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Jesus is hours away from being betrayed and crucified on a cross. And he has asked his disciples, will you stand here and keep watch? And then he goes off and prays to his father that the father's will would be done. He goes back to his disciples and what does he find? They're asleep. They're asleep. And he says to them, hear me church, he says, can you please can you please stand watch with me and pray that you do not fall into temptation. And I love the way that is put forward. It is stand watch with me and pray to not be tempted. Now let's put that back up there if we might on on our screens here. Stay proximate with Jesus. That's the invitation. Stand stand with me. Be with me. Be with me and pray that you will not fall into temptation. And a prayer that Krista and I have every night, most every night, we pray every night, Lord, deliver us from from temptations, from lies, from fears, from Satan's tactics. But one of the ways I often will pray it is, and I want you to hear it this way, Lord, strip away from me evil desires that I would not even have what it takes to ignite temptation's fury. Help me to be so enamored with Jesus and to love him more than anything else this world or the flesh or the devil would offer. I want to be proximate with him and with eyes on him keep praying to be safeguarded from temptation. You do the same. Number two, number two, and it's it's straight from the text here. The second thing I want to show you is from James, James chapter one here. Uh, It's a James chapter one, verse five. I want you to see this here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. Now we go to James 1 for wisdom, lots of wisdom in this chapter. Yes, indeed there is, no question about it. If you need wisdom, ask God who gives generously without finding fault. I pray this constantly. Our elders, as we wrestle with the the task force and as we think about what God is doing, this wonderful thing he's doing in our church family, all these things, we're constantly going to James 1, praying for wisdom. But, friends, the appeal for wisdom, while it is a wonderful uh, example to us in any area of life, specifically in the book of James, in James chapter 1, it relates to trials. In the face of trials, ask God for wisdom. Help me understand what's going on. Who do you need me to be? How do I need to respond? What do I need to learn? Give me wisdom, O God. And you know what? He gives generously, and he doesn't find fault. He rejoices in giving wisdom. He's so good. Remember, every good and perfect gift comes from above, including wisdom, sage advice. The third thing, number three, we see this also from James chapter 1. James 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So how do we deal with with trials and the related temptations? Well, 
yes, indeed, we need to be proximate with Jesus and pray against temptation. And we need to lean into God for all the wisdom he would give. But where do we find that wisdom most chiefly? In the word of God. But we need to be people that don't just hear it, but do it. Act on it. Live it out. We don't just sit and soak and receive, but we get up and walk it out. And he gives us power for that. He gives us power to do the word. And here's the beauty of it, friends. Listen to this. Listen to how practical and direct and accessible this is. When I am doing the word of God, living it out in my life day by day, it squeezes out the margin in which temptation can get the best of me. That's why we must be people of the book. People of the book. Gracious Father, I want to thank you for the trials that come our way, that come my way, for how they grow me and shape me and humble me. And I want to thank you that in the face of temptation, you give me strength. And when I fall, you are forgiving and gracious and good. Thank you for the cross of Jesus that settles my accounts once and for all before you, a holy and righteous God. Lord, I declare that I'm confident your faithfulness will see me through and my soul can rest. My righteousness is found in you. With every moment left, in every borrowed breath. Let this be true, that all my heart, for all my life, come what may, belongs to you. Belongs to you. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.